You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Eric Stenner Carlson is the author of The St. Perpetuous Club of Buenos Aires, Maladonna, his new collection of short stories for Tartarus Press is Dark Arts. Thank you for joining me, Eric. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I got all the way through this book and, and I'm reading it, I'm thinking, God, this guy's like, kind of like an extra weird Borges. to the vital story when you finally mentioned the master's name and i thought okay well i i'm not completely (laughs) deceived you know one of the things i liked about the stories in this book was the, the variety of approach subject content everything how do you i i guess what brings you into a story and and let leads you down the path that writes the story? Is it the language? Is it do you have some plan for each one? Yeah, I don't. Thanks, thanks for asking. I think I think it depends for each story and each each collection. This, um, I mean, it's a bit complex because I, I kind of I let the characters. I'm like kind of like a um, like a war photographer or war journalist. I watch the characters. And sometimes it's like a freight train and I have to run next to the freight train and jump on board with them. So I'm actually narrating as I see it, uh, uh, as it unfolds. And I normally, you know, it's the idea of, you know, is, is an author in charge or in control of the characters? I'm, I'm accompanying my characters and, it, and when they say things that, that make sense as, as themselves. And I discover, for example, the, the one, the, the, the story, uh, golden book, I won't have any spoilers, but, um, there's, there's this one person discovers that um, they're in love. I learned that looking over the shoulder of the person. I didn't know that was going to happen until the exact moment. So, so when I read through the stories, they have that kind of, I don't know, freshness to them. Because I really care about my characters. And so each one is, is different because, and it's in a different voice because each character is different. You know, that that's really interesting because I think one of the things that, that your stories offer is like they're they feel really fresh it does feel like they're like they create themselves in front of you in the way in the manner that life creates itself in front of you i i well, that's that's nice that you, you that it was your experience i mean i i think what kind of helped was having that original metaphor and it, it wasn't forced at all it was totally organic was the idea of dark arts it's, i mean is that each story has this centerpiece of art whether it's photography or jazz or noir movies or penny dreadfuls and from that the characters kind of discover the darkness in that whether it's supernatural or or spiritual or what have you and i and i, I think that that's the kind of when i i i experience it like that and i'm glad you as a reader kind of felt that you know from the written page you know one of the things i think that's really nice about a, a short story collection is that you get to explore uh, essentially what you just said, the same kind of theme from a variety of directions. And as a writer, when you were putting this together, did these stories all come to you with the idea, informed by the idea of, 
art as a means to explore what's within us and find out those bits of darkness and shine a light on those bits of darkness within us that we don't even know about ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think back now because this happened like just before COVID and then during COVID and we had kind of like that COVID blur. But for, for me, you know, I'd written two of the stories just going into COVID. And it wasn't until it was really when I when I wrote um, the leopard spotted scarf that I knew it was a collection. And, you know, that's, the, when it, that's why I feel like I discovered it then because it suddenly clicked for me. And I and I and again, I don't know if we'll pursue a bit about what I talked about in my introduction, but back, you know, back when we were teenagers and that whole idea of of, you know, wanting to break out and break free and get out of school and travel and learn new languages. And when I just, I remembered finding um, when I was traveling Northern Argentina, seven, 17 years old, coming across this, this store, well, I, I saw the, the bone star, as I call it. And that really, for me, that suddenly, I, then I realized it was, it was clear that this was a collection built around that experience. That's a really interesting idea because a, a short story, this collection has so much, it's so rich and full of life and experience. And let me just leap ahead and say that the story Strays was simply amazing. It was a compelling, intense reading experience. And at the end, I will admit it brought a tear to my eye. Now, joining me on this interview, unheard and unseen by you, are two very important characters in my life. That would be Lily and Biscuit, who are the two pugs that, you know, get up with me every morning and have for the past 11 years and join me on a walk down by the beach. And this story is really interesting because of the way that it's constructed. It's like hands itself off to itself continuously. So talk about um, the ideas, a bit of, about the ideas behind the story. And also, I have to ask you, do you have dogs? Yes, I, I love dogs. And I, I think my dog, like like so many people, I mean, I I did, you know, a dog before COVID. Some people bought dogs and thought it would somehow accompany them and sometimes didn't work out. I love dogs. And really, in some way, this, this story is dedicated to my dog. Mm. You know, I, I think very much he kept, like I say in my introduction to the story, that, that writing the stories kept my spirit alive. But he was there with me the whole time and really kept kept my spirit alive. I know a lot of friends of mine who love dogs and 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 I I think it's funny, you know. I, I think it's I I try, you know. It, it's it, it's kind of boring too to have uh, authors explain what they were trying to do if they didn't really achieve it. Mm -hmm. But I guess what I was, you know, what what I was trying to do is tell a simple story because it's it, in some it ways it's very simple. simple. Yeah, you're right. But then it's, it gets it has this complex backdrop and this mythology to it, and it all it did self create because I really thought about um, the the love we have for other people in our lives, our, our lost loves, that idea that love haunts us, and the ability to, to return and and it's love on many different levels. Love thinking that we're the one our souls we share one half with our dogs in our life, and to explore that mythology and and. And then, and then really tap into that love about love for children, the different types of love and how, what happens if we did get a chance to come back. And, and, and I, I really, I, I, again, I have a lot of empathy for my characters. I don't, I don't create them. I watch them and I, they befriend me. 
And I, I think that one character, especially, I, I, I cry at particular parts of that story. Um, and it's just something about it that is, even though it's science fiction in some ways, even though it's supernatural in some ways, and you have a reality check, I feel very closely, can, I, I feel like it's actually happening, you know? And I, and I hope it, because I think it, and it's a love story on multiple levels. You know, it's interesting too, because in the past few years, my thinking about intelligence, especially as experienced by animals, has changed in part because of a book I read called The Genius of Birds uh, by, I think, Jill Ackerman is, is the name. And she talked about how intelligent birds were and how they demonstrate this. And I, I, she also talked about how their intelligence is the result of their sensory experience of the world, which is very different from ours. And as we all know, dogs have a very different sensory experience too. And, and so it's, I've been moving towards this idea that, you know, intelligence between many of the animals that share the world with us, they might be as intelligent as we are in their and their experiences of the world would be as rich as ours are, but affected so much by their different sensory experience that, you know, they are to us as aliens almost, as we, you know, typically, you know, don't think about space aliens in some ways. Although space aliens are usually given human form. <laughs> it shows how conceited we we are. But I think you, but I think your story like conveys that the rich inner life of something that's very different from us, but shares the world with us very well. And it was just really beautifully written. And also too, I think your interest in darkness. Uh, really helps you in your approach because you're able to speak to sentimental topics without seeming sentimental. I think, I think that's, you know, it's, it's funny. I um, had a, a, a book launch recently some, with some friends of mine and, and we were, you know, I was saying at the beginning that I, I was at a, a ghost story festival in Dublin a few years ago and I saw a woman with a shirt that said, um, every ghost story is a love story. And I don't know where that quote is from, but it really stuck with me because, you know, some people say this is, you know, these are ghost stories. They're, I think they're love stories. Mm -hmm. And I think they're love stories that have this darkness. And I'm thinking like the story, I loved you at your darkest um, in the collection, which is very much, one could imagine there are supernatural elements or not, but there's certainly darkness and it's every, every story talks about the loves we lost, the loves we try to regain, and how we kind of try to muddle our way through life. And I think, you know, in some ways, Stray for me is, you know, that person is constantly coming back and trying to find this love and be reconnecting with his with his son, which is which is very much the love of his life, you know, and, and he's he's coming back and trying to accompany and I, and and he's successful and he fails in ways that we fail and are successful as as in our own lives, I think. You know, uh, another story that touched on a subject that interests me is, was bradycardia. Um, in my the copious spare time I have when I'm not like reading a book a week, interviewing the author, preparing the interviews on audio, writing up the review, 
I do music for a show called The Dream Journal. And I compose every Saturday morning just before I go to the show an hour of ambient music that plays in the background while the host, who was uh, who is Catherine Bell, she was a astrophysicist for many years who, who left the world of astrophysics for the lucrative world of dream study. <laughs> but she interviews people to talk about dreams. And so I've spent an hour a week listening to people talk about dreams. Brady Cardia is about dreams and about some of the technical aspects of dreams too. Uh, lucid dreaming in particular. Are you a lucid dreamer? No, I've, I got to say that there, there was a lot um, about dreams, about dreams that came out and, and, and result and parts of the book's book were um, a result of dreams. And I, I'll, I'll come back a second to that one, but I would say that, that it was um, uh, uh, Strasse uh, uh, Sipsig Berlin was, was the direct um, um, result of a dream. And I, I, had, I had seen, I was dreaming and I saw the street sign that said 60 or Strasse 60. And I had a sense that I was in Berlin and I went into this hotel and on the, this is very, this is very clear for me on this dirty bedspread, bedspread, there was strewn some lettuce and some ketchup as if someone had eaten some fast food. And I woke up and I began the story and it flowed from there. And it was, again, it was very much, uh, it was, it was from actually from a dream and bradycardia, even though that wasn't the direct result of a dream explores dreams and, 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 you know, especially with those of us who have COVID, those COVID dreams, you know, were very lucid and very, you know, troubling. And, and I had friends of mine that, that we, we would compare notes, you know, after a feverish night and we would have these, you know, uh, projections or, you know, whatever is going on. And I, I think it was also, I mean, I'm, again, I, 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 I've, I said recently in a, at a book launch that I, that I'm not, I'm not, you know, thankful for COVID it's caused so much, destruction, woe, and, and, and human hardship. I hopefully one of the things we've learned out of that is, is empathy and, and togetherness and how we've all been going through something very terrible, but, but together. Um, and I, I certainly, having written this during COVID, it made a particular book. And, and it's funny what you're saying about some stories, friends of mine who've gone through COVID, certain things resonate more with them having gone through the experience. Now, is this to say that you actually contracted COVID? At one time, yeah, I had COVID. I had okay. COVID. We've um, all gone out of it, you know. You know, one of the things that when you were talking about uh, dreams was, it, it struck me that dreams are like your story, a means of exploring your inner self and shining a light on the places that don't usually see light. And I think that that's... Uh, an important uh, aspect of the stories in this book and also just in a sense of, you know, my takeaway of your vision. If this book is the, uh, like a prism, prism that shows us different uh, wavelengths of light, all of them, the illuminating source at the center of that prism is art itself. So talk about looking at art through a variety at a variety of wavelengths. Well, that's, that's great. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great image. I was thinking I used the, I, the notion of a prism when I was, I guess, you know, at the beginning, just for the, for the, for the listeners, 
um, I framed this story around this experience I had, I mentioned when I was 17 years old, traveling in Argentina by myself. And um, there, there was this Star of David made out of bone in the window that really was compelling to me. It was something extremely beautiful and something I couldn't quite explain why I was attracted to it. And I had this conversation with the, with the, the woman who ran the store. And this, this, I'll cut the long story short, but basically this was a, a cast off fragment of the great artwork that her father had made during the Spanish Civil War. A, a Jewish family, he was a, a, a poor artist. And he, instead of, instead of buying potatoes with the last money, um, he, he bought bone uh, because he said that we could always buy potatoes, but without art, we die. And it was that, that telling and retelling and like the prism, you say, reflecting and going through different colors and different, 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 um, maybe wavelengths, as you say, to kind of respond to that. Is it, you know, we, I mean, we're physical beings, right? We need potatoes to live, but we're also spiritual beings. So we need art to live. So really in each one of these stories, we have this, these, it's, it's art mixed with life, mixed with death. And I think maybe that's where art unifies us. You know, it's that I, I mentioned, the, and it's, it's the reference both to, to, to Vonnegut and to Goethe when I say mother night is kind, there's, there's nothing bad about darkness. You know, there, there's nothing, yes, there is evil in the world and there's something definitely wrong with evil. You know, I'm not, I'm not praising evil, but darkness, obscurity, um, lack of awareness, struggle, um, this, this whole idea that we're in the dark forest and we're finding our way. We need as human beings to go through that dark forest without going through that dark forest, which I think is the artistic experience we cannot experience ourselves as humans. And I think that's, I mean, that's the way I, I would kind of attempt to explain it, um, that it's, it's something that art is transformative. And as I say in the book, it's, I look at that, I, I rethink that image again and again of buying the star and seeing it beautiful and seeing it terrible and, and thinking, you know, what are the costs of art? You know, um, one of the things that, uh, stories that I, I really liked was Monsieur Machine, which was a really interesting, it's, I would describe it as a steampunk take on intelligent design. <laughs> I like that. I like which, that. Which I think is very interesting. And again, it speaks to the variety of stories of approaches you take in this book. It reminds me a bit too of, of uh, James Blaylock, where who like will sometimes like take what seems in the abstract as a completely ridiculous premise, but take it with such seriousness and render it so well that you, you buy it and, and you are able to achieve a new understanding of something by virtue of having seen it, having made the journey through the Monsieur Machine Forest. So talk about your inspiration for the Monsieur Machine Forest, as it were. I think there's, I think there's a lot about the, the, you know, it's about the mechanics of the universe, literally <laughs> yeah. mechanics and also spiritually. Um, and it's, it's one of those, uh, I, won't, I won't spoil anything, but one of the characters, Madame X, when, she, when Monsieur Machine places in her lapel, the the broken um, key of his uh, of his typewriter. That's my typewriter. It's it's Olivetti um, Studio Forty Two, and um, that that 
I don't I don't write purely on a typewriter, but I that that story in fact was conceived on the typewriter, and I like to do. I mean, people have all sorts of different things. I don't I don't say anyone should should replicate this, but for me, that story needed to be visualized on a on that particular typewriter, and um and that's something kind of I lived that machine existence and. And I, I still at the very base of it, I, I really think it's a love story. And for me, it's one of the one of the hardest love stories because it's you know, and, and also because I, I, I do believe in a in a in a beautiful, positive, everlasting power in the universe, if we call that God or nature, the universe or, or what have you. But but the idea that this man is seeking to find God and behind the mask of God, there is this machine, which is terrifying. And I I really. You know, some people, you know, as you know, my stories aren't aren't gruesome. They're often not bloody, but I think there's something. Some some friends have, have and, and friends have told me there's something that they that kind of frightens them days afterwards, which is this existential question. It really is, you know, in this universe, you know, is there a God, and and is there something beyond God, and and that's 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 probably the most frightening. Well, that's probably for me that maybe that's the most frightening idea in the collection. I will say that I like your sense of the story of the supernatural and the way it's, you know, sprinkled lightly through the book that, you know, uh, some of the stories could would fit just fine in, in the old New Yorker where the supernatural was strictly verboten. But... <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so talk about your decision, you know... What drives you to use the elements of the fantastic in whatever way in, in the story? Well, it's funny you, you mentioned you mentioned Borges. Um, I, I I worked and lived and 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 found love and wrote my first book in Argentina. I think it, I think it's impossible. Um, I think I, I stayed away from Borges for a while because he was the master, you know. Um, and and Ernesto Sabato, as you mentioned, one of your your friends who was a astrophysicist. Exactly. Sabato was was a physicist, a great one of the great you know, icons of 20th century literature. He was a physicist and he was a human rights. Uh, he, he wrote the Nunca Mas, the, the, the book that exposed the great atrocities in the dirty war in the 70s and early 80s. And he was a great, he's a great novelist. And so I, I admire him on many different levels. I think, you know, Sabato and then Borges, as I discovered him later, you know, allow one to tell a story that is, um, it's not, it's not that you, you you suddenly go into fantasy. We're in this world, and there are fantastic elements here, and it's it's part of bureaucracy, very much like Saint Perpetuus. Something is like so. So my first novel with 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 um, with Tartarus Breast, where you know the grinding, ruling everyday ins and outs of we know this people stamping and and checking files and it works. I think seamlessly with the supernatural because it's not like oh now there's a ghost it, it's just like somehow run within the everything it seems like oh yes time travel <laughs> i mean i mean at least that's how my mind works um, <laughs> but i i think too well importantly that's how the human mind works we in order to create reality we create reality by telling ourselves a story and there's and one of the things humans are really good at is lying, not just to other people, 
but more importantly to ourselves. And I think that the kind of lies we tell ourselves about ourselves in the center at the heart of pretty much every story in this book. It's, you know, life is a process of learning through to see through the lies you tell yourself about yourself. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, I was just thinking, I was trying to, you know, trace back just mentally my thought process or, you know, my, my thought about the universe and God. I spent my very early childhood in, in Tasmania. I, I, um, and um, I was fascinated, I still am. I have a, a real love for uh, Aboriginal culture. The whole idea of this, of the dream time, this, this time, this magical time. And it's, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's not like, oh, now we'll talk about you know, Theseus or Zeus. We'll, we'll go into that realm of, of, of mythology. It's part and parcel of the universe, that dream time. You know? And I think that's, a, I remember being frightened by stories like that. And I remember finding a kind of a deep, a deepness. And again, not necessarily, a, it's not negative, a darkness. That, like you said, that the questions that we deny ourselves, or we, we, we go through life and maybe we try to buy our way through lives. We, life we, we buy things and make us feel better we maybe go through relationships that are meaningful but deep down inside we're wondering are we finite <laughs> you know where did we come from where are we going i mean i i really think uh, I, I i think there's something there's something terrifying but again it's going through that dark woods and i, I think i there there's some until we go through that journey um we're, we're not going to answer that fundamental question we are always asking and yet denying ourselves, which is, what are we? Are we a spiritual creature in a physical body? We're a physical creature. Um, so, and I, I think, I think in some ways it's also wrapped up. I mean, I do, I do, I do, again, since I do believe in something loving and lasting in the universe uh, that we can all tap into, um, in some ways, I, when I go into a story, I'm not making up a fake universe. I'm asking, actually asking a question. You know, if like a vampire story, if if there if there are vampires, let's say if you're writing a vampire story, and you believe in an everlasting soul, um, or people selling their souls to a devil, why would they do that? You know, if you can, if if you really imagine an everlasting soul, there's no way for 50 years or 100 years or whatever you would sell that, or you'd no way enter in the contract, you know, compact with a with a vampire. So, you know, when I'm when I'm writing a story like that, I'm actually I don't know if it's thinking logically. But I'm actually thinking with a fundamental of I'm not I'm not going off into you know no man's land. I'm actually asking the question about our our existence, I guess. You know that that's a really interesting idea that the to even to stories that question or posit elements of the fantastic are indeed just as realistic as the kitchen window epiphany, and we you know. In fact, when I just said that phrase, I'm thinking, well, kitchen windows certainly exist, but epiphanies are <laughs> maybe not so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think things that, that come to us, and I think the, I tried also, I said in, in, in the introduction of my book, that kind of recapturing that joy of writing is a spiritual experience. It's a, it's a, it's a journey of discovery, and I, I love languages. I love the idea. I was reading a book recently about the, the Hebrew alphabet, and getting back to Borges, Aleph, the first, the first letter, and how he pictures, I mean, it's so beautiful, how he pictures everything 
everything in one point. And that's the story of the left. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. And there's something there about, you know, in the beginning, the, the God, the word was God. The idea that as we express ourselves verbally, um, spiritually, artistically, there, there's something there about that link to language. And, and I really, I, there's something, and then I, I think, I don't know, that was, that, that's one of the ways that, that Borges just blows me away. To see one point of light where every, everything exists all at once. Well, uh, to the import of language and the reading experience, it's such a unique form of art. No other form of art is like that, like it, in that, you know, we are always here. Well, you know, uh, in fact, Ridley Scott famously said after, I think shortly after making Blade Runner, that the novel's dead and nobody's going to even care about novels 20 years from now, which is certainly not the case, because the reading experience involves the reader as much as the writer both of the writer has to put forth the effort or to put the words on the page but the reader actually has to read them and manufacture that reading experience and, and i think that you know in terms of what you're saying of like the aleph the light that that precedes everything else it's like we have to build that from you know the first letter of the first word in the story to the end i i agree i agree and there's there's something about that construction i i, I was i was just uh, um i'm trying to develop a thought right now but it's something you know there's there's in every story there's something about language you know mm-hmm. and there's something about and and often if we look at the the story salt it's communication that we don't even know if there's communication happening. And, and that's to me, that's kind of the, that's where the loneliness and isolation of the, of the writer comes in. And I, we, we, as writers, we have a, a one-sided conversation. And exactly. If, and even if the story doesn't, if the story doesn't get published in our lifetime, for example, um, and, and it maybe gets published or it gets lost and people don't read it. And someone picks up 200 years later, they're engaging in that other hand of the conversation. So it's almost like as we write, we're anticipating that other person that may not even be born yet. There's something that's deep, man. I mean, that is, that's really deep. And there's something, but there's something about that human need to express ourselves and to reach out even across the years. Um, and I, I think in some ways, you know, salt, and for me, again, I, there, there are parts there that, that are very personally moving for me because it's talking about relations between parents and children and the, and between lovers the idea that we are sometimes this, what we think we're saying is not being received in the same way or that like having that maybe writing that book and never finding that audience in some ways i feel that one character in salt who's being interrogated is never finding maybe he wakes up one day and realizes that no one was listening it, it's like leaving a voicemail at, on a payphone <laughs> exactly and, you know like, and I, I wonder sometimes you know i think i i i go you know back and forth between uh you know really despising technology and 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 and, and recognizing you know the, the real benefits uh, especially um uh, friends and colleagues of mine who um who have disabilities the the freeing nature of uh, voice apps and the freeing nature of 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 of, of handless um uh, uh technologies um at the same time there's something about there's something devious about technology taking over, you know, this this human experience, and 
and that this idea, and I see people, and I, I, I don't know, this might be a pet peeve, but I see people like jogging with their like Bluetooth earpiece in and having a conversation with someone. I, I assume they're having a conversation with someone because they're shouting and gesticulating while they run. But I wonder, is there really anyone listening on the, on the other end? And again, that's an existential question. Now, besides, if you're running in the forest and the beautiful fields and the sunflowers and the pine trees, why are you on a phone? Exactly. Well, I, I walked down at the beach. It's Rio Del Mar Beach. And you have a 180-degree view of the Monterey Bay Sanctuary where I walk. It's like one-mile walk. And I see people walking along and, like, listening to the news. I'm thinking, why? 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 But, you know, more to the point, I think uh, your stories, the spiritual nature of your stories is really, spirituality is really important to you. And what I like about your stories is that your vision of spirituality is chameleonic. It, it, it has a wide variety of guises. And I think that it's interesting. You know, spirituality generally wants to be, you know, one way. You know, you're Catholic, you're Jewish, you're, you're a, you know, Buddhist, you're a everything. But I think that you know, it, it spirituality has as many guises as does humanity. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I don't know. I've 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 been very fortunate to 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 live and work in many countries, and I've met so many beautiful people. So, you know, sometimes in the news we see people like to make divisions and say, a person from this country X or speaks this language X is our enemy or should be excluded. And I, I've met so many beautiful people who are. Buddhists, uh, Muslims, uh, from the Jewish faith, uh, various uh, um, denominations of Christianity, atheists who don't prescribe, uh, subscribe to a specific religion, and yet they're deeply spiritual in, the, in that they, they believe in the person next to them. I think there's something, I find that very beautiful. And I, it was funny, I was watching, I, I like to watch um, uh, a Japanese news, news channel. Sometimes I, I don't speak Japanese at all. They have they have different you know subtitles. I, I really like um the um this this one show talks about spirituality in japan and it was um it was subtitled but it was funny there was there it was an interview with a with a with a monk who was talking about how in japan there's there can be there's a seamless existence between you know confucianism and 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 uh buddhism and um and it, it can be it's it's not a person in a certain history could be considered an oni like a, a demon or a god, or a human being, and that's okay. And he was saying the one word that kept on coming up in English, although the rest was in Japanese, was membership, membership, membership. And he said, I think maybe where a lot of religions go wrong is that they forget that spirituality part, and they focus on membership. Now, if you're a member of this group, it's static and set, and you cannot share beliefs with this next group that it's static and set. I thought that was very beautiful, at the way he talked about spirituality and said what if we had um, a sensation of god a sensation of the spirit without membership which would be we would all be members right exactly that's what you took the words or the thoughts out of what was left of my tiny brain <laughs> in, in that what we all share is membership 
yeah. well, in this one race. The, co the color it wears is, is is somewhat irrelevant. The membership is is that is the key. Now, I thought I'd say one of the things I think that uh, this book really speaks to is exactly what you just how you described your life. You lived in many places. You've done many different things. And I think that the variety in this book is, is really interesting because it, it's very much a, quote, world book. You go, your characters come from everywhere. The stories might be set anywhere. Um, talk about using this um, and then selling such a collection to uh, Tartarus Press, who's, you know, I think they have a very interesting vision of what's worth printing. <laughs> and the, your book is a perfect example thereof. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, and I got, I'm thank you for mentioning Tartarus because I cannot say enough good things about Tartarus Press. I mean, they, they have real people, Ray and Rosalie, who, who, who run the press, and they read everything. And they're, and I've had books. Uh, I've sent transcripts, uh, manuscripts to them, uh, which they've rejected because they, they, it doesn't fit with what they do. And when they accept, and, and that's fine because they're thoughtful and and really wonderful people. And the, the manuscripts of mine that they have picked up, they've picked up because it fits with their vision. I I I, I just uh, sometimes I think that the small presses like Tartars are keeping this human torch of freedom and literature alive. And um, and and that they could also take a chance in a book like this, like you said, it's not a. There are many different genres going on and all the different stories. And and one kind of if if one's in that mood to take the worldwide ride, um, I think I think the stories and they 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 intersect sometimes. You know, it's not uh, you know you'll see it's not just one character will pop up, but there'll be there'll be themes, especially about this language. You know, somewhere we it's almost like you know when you when you hum a tune and you walk down the street. And then someone's walking the other direction. They start humming the same tune. I, I feel like some of the some of the characters, in my stories, are humming that same tune. So it may take place in Chile or in Bangkok and in areas that maybe it looks like maybe it's Eastern Europe. Um, but there somehow, I, it just it reminds me very much of of Corridor, when this man is hearing da 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 da, and it's something that is that is. That those notes for me kind of flow through the book, um, but I mean that's my perception as as a as a writer. I think every person who would read the story, and rightly so, he, she, or they will have a different reading experience. I think in some way there's some sort of you know unity there. You know, it's interesting what you are saying about uh, the music because uh, my take is is that. Uh, music is a very high bandwidth form of communication. You can say in three notes, played on any diff three different instruments, three very different things, but that you know will carry a whole freight of meaning, much of which you simply couldn't explain in words. I I, I agree, and I'm I'm certainly no musician, but having it's so funny. I I like being in countries I haven't traveled in before, if I don't know the language and I, and I, and I don't understand many facets of the culture and I have to look and I have to listen and I have to wait and I have to be patient and, uh, it, some, and, and then you'll hear music and we're all experiencing music at the same time. And it's almost like this ray of light that suddenly we have a, um, you know, we're, we're, we're united and, and someone 
I, I read, I don't, I think it was, I'm trying to think it was actually a quote from Hitchcock or it was someone who liked Hitchcock and they said, they saw, I think it was North by Northwest, I think in, in, in a country, I think in Southeast Asia. And they said that they were, it, it had been dubbed into another language, but that soundtrack was boom, 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 was and jazz. It was like, and it was, everyone has experienced that same thing, you know? And I thought that's beautiful because you could miss the storyline a bit, but you got that musical and, and that's, and that's music. I mean, Miles Davis helped me write, um, I loved your darkest. And it was, it, I, that story particularly inspired by music. I had maybe for 20 years, I knew some elements that came to me for the story, but it never made sense until I heard the first few needs, few notes of genetic, um, from his album. And then I, um, and, and I think it's in, in English, it's called Relentless, but it's, but it's um, the movie. But it was, and it's so funny because after I heard the first few notes and I knew how to write the story, which is, it sounds bizarre. But it, I mean, from what you're saying, I mean, maybe maybe that's, it makes sense. Those few notes gave you the entire map for the story in a language that didn't need the words. Exactly. And it explained, <laughs> it explained to me why and the the love and the loss of this character, you know, that he is always searching for the lo for the love that he lost when he was very young. It's so it's very beautiful. You know, that story is very interesting because it's very beautifully written, uh, and I think that especially since there are two love stories intertwined throughout that. There's between the, the two men who are staying in the room and between the man and the, the young, the woman he met as a young girl. And, and once again, later, uh, talk about um, creating that kind of intertwined effect, which also occurs in strays. I think that, you know, you seem to like to weave your stories out of different strains and put one, put them in that kind of a, a counterpoint context. I, th I think for me, you know, and I'm thinking about this, you know, a lot. I mean, especially in in dark times, you know, love is love, Lo love is love. And and I think about, you know, friends of mine who worked on marriage equality, and it's it's like, um, it it, it, it reminds me of the love story. That's one part of the love story in 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 Golden Book, is when she discovers she's in love, for that first time, and 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 that's like the be that's the beginning of love, and we see at the and I loved you at the darkest starts at what could seem like the ending of love, you know? And it's just, it's something like we said about that, those first few notes or the, or that, that the LLF that, that joins us. There's something about that love that I think it's, it joins us. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation we have or gender identity or how we are, how we view love when we fall in love and that beautiful experience, and this, and I think I loved your darkest is, is, you know, the idea of we, sometimes we create the image of ourselves based upon how we think the people we love see ourselves. And so, you know, it's, you know, are we really loving, you know, them? Are we loving this, you know, this idea of them? But I think, I think love is love. And I, and I think that, I think that's kind of, that's why I think, again, that in some ways, these are ghost stories and I think maybe they're love stories with ghostly elements. You know, it, it strikes me that the ghost story 
and the love story share a, a similar vision and literary technique and just mental state, which is this, and you just expressed it perfectly, what's called theory of mind, which is to say that when I look at you, I can hear, I can see, I construct a model of your mind and I think, okay, there's Eric and he's thinking about his book and trying to come up with answers to whatever dumb thing I'm saying. And, and then I'm trying to think, okay, now what does he think of me? And then, uh, then I'm trying. Then I can go another level. What does he think? I think of him. <laughs> you can kind of go. I think the idea is that you can go to like about six or seven levels of theory of mind before your little brain just ends up tied up in, that, <laughs> in, in a knot. But when you think of the idea of the ghost or the idea of the lover lost or present. That, in a sense, is like you're making a model of something out there. The ghost is, in fact, the model of something that used to be there. And our idea of the lover is the person, what what, what does she think of me? Yeah, yeah. And I think there are two, at least two parts in, in, in the book. Once in um, um, Divining Rod and then once in I Love to Your Darkest, where they, they give up that image. And giving up that image is liberating. I think Mauricio, when he, the love that he lost, and the and the woman he meets again, and the whole image of himself. It's a like you said, it's a it's a it's a dance between mirrors, right? So the the, the what ourselves and the person we love, and it reflects back and forth, back and forth. And Mauricio finally breaks those mirrors, and he can see himself as himself, and he can see he can let that image of love go. And I think that's why when he he grasped the hand of his lover um, uh, in the hospital bed, at that moment for me that's that's touching because he sees him perhaps for the first time, you know. And what a beautiful thing is to see the person you love as the person, not as the object of love, but to look in that person's eyes and to see one's love. You know. Um, a number you mentioned this earlier in a number of these stories the characters speak multiple languages you'll have extensive quote and and in here in a variety of languages i'm assuming you write in english yes yes i do i i just um i the only other language i speak well hopefully is uh and write and write in is, is spanish uh, a language which i very much love and i i just published uh, my first novel which had been kicking around for many years that i wrote in spanish um, and uh, it's it's uh, called Plaza Lavache, and it's published by Rafa's Press in, in Brazil. It was it's funny. It's because it's published in a in a joint in a bilingual Spanish and and, and Portuguese version. So the first Spanish book ever published is also published in in Portuguese. I I love languages. I can't. I I I really. I mean, I studied German. I love reading the poetry of Rilke in German. Um, I need vocabulary help my german is not that good i love french i don't speak it that well i have i have a real love i love language and i love languages that i can't understand at all uh, 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 cf uh watching japanese <laughs> use no, subtitles i i mean i imagine to you that's like listening to music in a sense you don't you can never you listen to Miles Davis or Jean-Michel Jarre or whoever 
and you hear notes, and everybody hears notes, but nobody can say, well, that note right there, that sound right there is, you know, thunder or something. And no, <laughs> it's just a note. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, w- I turned on the radio late last night, a, a few nights ago, and I heard this one sing. It was absolutely beautiful. She was first presenting herself in French, that part I got, and then she sang a beautiful song, and I thought, I have no idea what that language is. Um, and it was, I thought, no, it's not Arabic. And I was trying to go through and it just sounded that just the, the, it was so curving and the, the, the vowels were so beautiful. And I, I heard, I listened later, uh, continued. And they said in French, that was Albanian. And I thought, how, how beautiful. And I'd never heard the, the language before. And it's so nice to think that there's, um, there's some sort of mystery in language. I mean, we shouldn't know everything. I think, I think we're searching for all answers, but I think there's also a beauty in, in not knowing some things. Well, certainly when it comes to music, I I am much more interested in hearing vocal songs in another language than I am in English because often in English, <laughs> what they're singing about is, well, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> and, and I prefer to hear that kind of dumb in another language where I'm just, you know, the only clue I can get is through the music and the means of expression, which then all of a sudden it starts to seem like kind of brilliant. I, I love I love Sephardic music, traditional uh, music of um, Jewish peoples after they left in 1492, left the Iberian Peninsula. It is so beautiful because it's got, it's, it's, it's kind of ancient Spanish, so I can get that. And then as they move to different countries, they may pick up Bulgarian, Greek, uh, Latin, and it's like it's like listening, or it's like seeing someone through a cloud or a mist. To to to, to listen to Sephardic music, also called Ladino, with this, this strong against Spanish bass. So I I I think I know what it's about, and then I I'm listening, and I just realize there are four or five other languages mixed in there that I had no idea, and yet the sound of the singer's voice carries me. And what what a beautiful experience that is. And those those are songs that have been um, from hundreds of years ago. So I, I love that we can experience that, and and not even maybe on a on an intellectual level. I don't know what they're saying, and that, but in a, in, a, in, a, in a deep emotional level, it's so moving. Are we going to see your first novel published in English? Uh, the 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 recent one, the first novel in Spanish. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 hoping it's so it's so funny. I, I'm I'm talking about languages. I I think I'm trying to reconstruct this because this happened over the period of a decade, uh, because it takes place in Argentina again, a country that I'm totally I totally love, and I I started writing it in in English, and I don't know how long how far I got, and then I thought, no no no, no one in the English speaking world is gonna you know, want this. It's it's it, people. It would be in Argentina who 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 would read this, and I wrote it. I began to write it in Spanish. And then I thought, wait a second. Um, and this, I guess, I'm the I'm the I'm the 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 exhibit of um, uh, um, in, uh, what what is it? Um, uh, trade and uh, modernism and and uh, uh, globalism, globalization. That um, I'm born in the U.S. Uh, my grandfather was from Norway. I'm. I love Argentina. I write in Spanish. I was like, "Who's gonna Who's gonna want to read that?" You know. So then, then I, then I, then I thought I left it aside, and then I wrote the whole thing in English. And I thought, no, I need to. This needs to be in Spanish. So I translated my own English into Spanish. And so, 
you know, so when will it appear in English? It's already appeared in English in my mind several times. <laughs> so um, hopefully one day soon, then I will actually, you know, get back to my English version and, and, and make it available. But you can tell that I love languages. I just go back and forth. Well, what are you planning on doing with language in next? Well, I've, you know, it's really, I really, again, I've, it's so far, you know, the book just came out, Dark Art just came out and my, um, I, my, my fans are, are so nice. You know, they've been really, I've gotten such support from um, friends again in Brazil, Argentina, Germany, Romania, Switzerland, the U.S. Um, and Spain. And, and, and I, I, this, this book is very much about kindness. And I wrote an essay recently about kindness and how it seems like the lack of kindness in the world, whether it's our personal relations or, or politics at the international level, that's, you know, public or private, I think there's a lack of kindness. And in, my, in many ways, this is about kindness. And I think the next book, following some similar themes, will be about cruelty. And and I, I think I'm going to I'm exploring that. I've already written a few stories. Again, not everyone is cruel to everyone, but it's it's is an exploration of, you know, if if the flip side of decency is humiliation, if if the flip side of of kindness is this cruelty, um, I would like to explore that in the in the characters. Not and again not not having them be cruel stories because I always whatever a character does, whether I might have a judgment, whether it's good or bad or mediocre. Um, I like to accompany that that character, and I think I'd like to explore a bit this idea of these stories in 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 what is oftentimes a cruel world. Um, you know, thinking about the last the last story in the collection, um, El Atelier, and the idea that, you know, what happens if we are the last two or three people left, and and how can we treat and in a world that's oftentimes very cruel, um, how can we treat ourselves with kindness? regardless of what we've betrayed, regardless of what crimes we've committed or sins we've we've committed, how is it that we can in this moment be kind? And I I think I think my next book, if I if I if I complete it, would be a kind of the flip side of that um, to explore that. So yeah. The new collection of short stories by Eric Stenner Carlson is <laughs> Dark Arts. Thank you for joining me, Eric. Oh, it's been such a real pleasure. Thank you for, for inviting me on this journey. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.